0: You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast.
1: Welcome to episode 74 of the Apple Insider Podcast, where we discuss all things iPad, Apple, iPhone, tvOS, watchOS, and more. We're recording on Thursday, June 23rd. I'm Victor Marks, your lovely host, and with me is the ever amazing editor in chief of Apple Insider, Neil Hughes.
0: Ever amazing, really? Wow.
1: You amaze me. <laughs> maybe i'm easy to impress you're the only
0: one i think have you read our reviews on itunes come on people hate me
1: they just don't know you like i know you (laughs) if they saw you the way i saw you they would love you too yeah maybe now i want to lead off with an announcement for our u.s listeners we are having a giveaway And Apple Insider readers and listeners can win one of two accessory bundles courtesy of Dog and Bone, an accessory company out of the UK. The the first bundle, which retails for $270, consists of a Backbone iPhone wireless charging case and pad, uh, LockSmart and LockSmart Mini. And LockSmart and LockSmart Mini are keyless padlocks that you can operate with your iPhone. They're pretty cool. The the Backbone wireless charging case is is Qi-compatible and withstands drops up to 4 feet. So the LockSmart is a handy padlock that offers trackable keyless security with 128-bit Bluetooth encryption. When paired with a supported iPhone, you unlock it by touching the icon using Touch ID or using a passcode. And there's also a weatherproof LockSmart Mini, which is the same kind of trackable keyless security. They work with batteries for up to two years of power or as many as 3,000 opens before needing to be recharged, which is pretty impressive. In addition, a second lucky winner will receive a bundle of dog and bone accessories valued at $240, which includes the LockSmart and LockSmart Mini, plus a wetsuit case of your choice. And they have options for the SE, the 55S, the 6, the 6S, 6S Plus series, and support just the majority of the devices. So to enter the giveaway, there's a widget. You have to enter on our site, and we have the story. We'll post the link in the podcast notes. The contest is open to U.S. residents only and ends on June 27th at midnight Eastern. Winners will be announced on June 28th. So please feel free to go ahead and enter for that drawing if you're in the U.S. And thank you for listening. Neil, thanks for being so patient with me while I did that. Of course. I want to talk about Apple intentionally leaving the iOS 10 kernel open.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, interesting bit of news that came out this week. Um, people realized that the you know core code of iOS ten was not encrypted in the way it has been in the past. um and some people thought it might be a mistake or something like that, which would be <laughs> kind of a big mistake to make. um but Apple f- finally came out and revealed that it was something they did on purpose um, and uh, you know this can have multiple benefits, obviously, um, when it comes to making code uh, available to poke around in there are good sides and bad to it uh, you know a, a someone who would be against that would say that you potentially open up your platform to um, uh nefarious users that might try to uh, find exploits and take advantage of things. But on the flip side, you have um, white hat hackers, as they call them, that uh, researchers to, researchers, researchers, who uh, would be able to go in there and figure out any potential security issues that Apple could then patch with a future update. Um, and they could also uh, cut down on this gray market of uh, uh, quote unquote researchers who sell exploits to people like governments, things like that, um, in order to uh, potentially do things that mm, some people may not like, like Apple, for example, uh, opposing the government's ability to poke into people's iPhones um, and not wanting to create a backdoor. So this is just kind of the latest in an ongoing Uh, debate slash battle uh, between Apple and uh, the U.S. government, but also just in terms of security, user privacy, that kind of stuff. The reason Apple felt comfortable doing this is because none of the data in there would contain a user's personal information. All that is stored in encrypted data on the iPhone, but the core of the OS uh, is now open in iOS
1: 10 right and this this isn't as you say this is the kernel cache and it's not sensitive information to to apple right it's it's not something that they were concerned about having any any qualms about being open right now you you mentioned governments purchasing vulnerabilities right we mm-hmm. we, we know that that's actually happened yes right yeah so I mean,
0: We know that they did that to crack the iPhone 5C in the San Bernardino shooter case. Uh, they worked with an Israeli's firm to bypass the security lock. Um, it's believed to be a hardware um, tool that they use to uh, uh, bypass the limit on number of uh, attempts before the phone locks.
1: And... Um, yeah, so I mean this has been done before certainly they, and they didn't have to disclose to Apple the vulnerability that they used, did they? No,
0: they're not required to do that and I mean they, they they shouldn't be in the same way that Apple shouldn't be required to unlock the phone for them. You know, um I you can disagree with the government not wanting to disclose that to Apple, but I mean they they're separate entities. They can do whatever they choose to do legally.
1: Yeah, it it's it's just um it's intriguing to me that you know, the, the, one of the ideas is that you would want American businesses to be more secure in order to, to bolster you know the, the idea of the safety of using American businesses and, and their products. And
0: yeah, from an ethical standpoint, uh, I, I would agree with you, but if you're the. US government you know playing devil's advocate here, and you want to be able to crack future iPhones and you have an exploit that maybe Apple doesn't know about, why the heck would you pass that information along to Apple? You want to continue to use that exploit? In many ways, they're competing against each other. The government wants to be able to crack Apple's iPhones, and Apple wants to be able to make sure that the government can't crack into it or anybody else for that matter. So yeah. um, the government is not going to reveal its hand to Apple, and uh, so Apple said, fine, we'll open it up. Uh, you know, And they're saying that doing this also uh, optimizes system performance and other things, um, allows it to run more efficiently. But a big part of this too is is the security debate.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm I'm always interested in the security debate, but the performance one makes sense to me. The idea that by you know, whenever you encrypt something, you have to then use computing power to unencrypt it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and so by skipping that step, you you've just allowed things to run that much faster.
0: Yeah, efficiencies are a big part of Apple's uh, updates coming out this year. Um, mac os the install is smaller with sierra um and they've offloaded some things like uh dictionary and other stuff um that they can access from the cloud on and connected uh which allow the os to be a little more lightweight to take up a little bit less space and they even have a new um uh uh option in there where you can uh have it optimize your space more so for example photos stored in the cloud music stored in the cloud where um it'll free up more space on your mac so and then this is part of that too just you know in terms of efficiency in terms of performance um just kind of making things run smoother and better
1: they showed some of this in the keynote where if you haven't used a file in quite some time, that it, it goes ahead and can move it to the cloud for you. And I was, I was a little apprehensive about that. But the other day, I was, uh, I was traveling yesterday and the day before, and I was in a hotel, and the hotel Wi-Fi was completely nonfunctional. Mm-hmm. Um, AT&T Wi-Fi for, for that hotel chain totally failed. And I was offline for a whole evening. Which, which doesn't sound like much, except that, that for me it was a little unusual. And if my dictionary, if, if my files had all been in the cloud, I, I don't know that I would have been able to access them.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, this is um, a, a interesting issue because there are a lot of people that get an entry-level Mac with 128 gigs of storage. There are a lot of people that get an entry-level iPhone with 16 gigs of storage. And so, you know, there's like an entitlement by a lot of fans saying, oh, Apple should make the minimum storage this
1: or whatever. Right. The, the, why isn't the iPhone 32 gig now.
0: Yeah, I mean, OK, sure, that's nice. But Apple's a business at the end of the day. I've never understood this like entitlement attitude of consumers where they say, oh, well, Apple or any other company really for that matter should do this because uh, it would be better for consumers. It's like, well… Yes, but they're in the business of making money, and Apple needs to maintain their margins, and they need to continue to be a profitable company, and at the end of the day, that's what they're going to do, and that's capitalism. There's nothing wrong with that unless you just don't like business. I mean businesses need to make money. They're not in the charity, in the line of charity. They – they want to sell you an iPhone. They want to incentivize an upgrade, so you buy a sixty-four gig model instead of a sixteen. And if you want to save money and get a sixteen, they continue to offer it. So that's just the way it is. Tough. Um, it's, but, but
1: there's something else to that too, which is you know, I was I was looking back yesterday at some of the, uh, the the reports that were from around 1998 when Apple released the iMac and killed off the floppy drive in the process. Yeah. And some users were talking about how short-sighted it seemed that the, uh, the floppy drive was going away. And the Steve Jobs quote at the time was that, no one is going to back up a four gigabyte hard disk because the original iMac shipped with a four gig drive to 1.44 megabyte floppies.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: And that, to, that, that knowing that it was ridiculous to use them and building in the extra cost into the iMac was just going to inflate the price that people already had to pay for the computer. Yeah, it was better I, to take it out and sell a lower priced computer that actually made sense to use.
0: Removing the floppy drive was obviously in hindsight a no-brainer. I mean, by that point the main the use time, for it was, it was apocalyptic though. Well, but I mean at that by that point the main use for it really was you know, in Windows, creating boot disks and stuff that people did, you know, or crazy installs. If you got some application that came on like thirty floppy disks or something, you're, you're to
1: mistaken because USB flash drives did not exist at that time. CD drives existed at that time, though.
0: CD-ROM had been around for you know since the mid '90s. Right, we're but talking like '99 when the iMac got rid of
1: floppy drives. Writing a CD drive to move some files around was was crazy, laborious, and time consuming. If you just want to shuffle some files around Sneakernet. No, I I understand why it was controversial
0: at the time. I'm just saying in in hindsight, it was very clearly an easy and the right decision to make. Oh, yes. Now, the reason that people are talking about it this week is because with the rumors of the new iPhone not having a headphone jack, uh, they're trying to compare that and say, oh, well, Apple already did it once with the floppy. This is the same thing. That's an interesting argument to make. I don't necessarily agree with it because it's not it's not quite the same. Let's look at Apple's market share of the computer market back in 1999 when the iMac came out um, and small right and now let's look at the iPhone's share of the smartphone market and the nominally
1: 40 to 50 percent ish let's see
0: yeah and uh, you know not just as its role in the smartphone market but as a media player. Um, use case scenarios, and you have to factor in the legacy of the headphone jack, which has been around for longer than the smartphone market has even existed. So I'm not saying that getting rid of the smartphone jack is necessarily the wrong thing to do. I think it's inevitable and it has to happen. Whether it's right to do it this year is the question, and time will tell if Apple is right on that. Um, But I also – you know, I don't know – I don't think it's a fair comparison, is the way that I would put it. Um, I don't think it's the same thing. I think Apple's presence in the market is much larger. The outcry is going to be huge. Apple will continue to sell older phones it will still have headphone jacks, including the new-released iPhone SE. And if people want a headphone jack, then they'll vote with their dollars, and Apple will pay for it. Um, But I think it's inevitable that the headphone jack needs to go anyhow. The real controversy becomes, okay, so Lightning headphones only work with Lightning devices, you know, what are you going to do with your Mac now? You can't plug in your headphones to your Mac because there's no lightning port on it. Um, right. Maybe one this fall, (laughs) but I mean, there, there are a lot of questions that still need to be answered and I will reserve judgment until the announcement is made. And until we know for sure that there's not going to be a headphone jack and how it's going to play out. Um, but certainly I will say as somebody who still uses wired headphones, if I need to have an adapter to use wired headphones, um, I am not going to be happy, especially if I have to ditch that adapter to go back to my Mac, uh, whatever. It would be nice. I mean, here's a crazy idea. What if Apple just made lightning an open standard?
1: Uh, They could certainly do it. I would consider it an unlikely move.
0: I would as well. But that would shut up all the people saying you're trying to lock people into headphones built specifically for Apple devices. I mean that's one potential outcome, and that's why I'm saying I'm reserving judgment because I have no idea what the heck they're going to
1: do. We'd we'd end up with some of the same problems that people have had with USB-C, where where non-compliant cables have either caught fire or completely ruined laptops, things like that. You know, and I've I've had um, non-compliant, non-made-for-iPod, made-for-iPhone-approved Lightning products that have caught fire.
0: I mean, I'll, I'll say this: if we end up in a situation where I have to use USB-C headphones on my Mac and Lightning headphones on my iPhone, and I have to use an adapter to switch between them if I want to use the same headphones for both. I'm going to strangle somebody.
1: Right, but that, I'm not. that doesn't feel like a very Apple-like solution, does it?
0: It doesn't, and yet here we are with a MacBook that only has one port on it uh, that still has a headphone jack.
1: Right. So if Lightning headphones become the standard and they replace that headphone jack with a Lightning port that is thinner.
0: That would be nice, uh, but you still got to buy a new Mac.
1: Well, you are planning on that eventually, weren't you?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I have to for this line of work, but if I was a regular consumer, I'd be kind of ticked off. I mean, here's the reality people are going to be ticked off if they get an iPhone without a headphone jack. People will get over it eventually.
1: I You've have seen been saying. Before and they always used adapters, and the adapters the very always first stopped.
0: Android phone. The HTC One was uh, without a headphone jack, the G1, um, the, the Google phone.
1: Yeah, I don't, I didn't have that HTC. I had the second HTC that used a headphone adapter out of its uh, mini USB port.
0: Yeah, it was the same thing.
1: And the uh, the HP Veer, the Palm phone, you used, used an adapter.
0: People are going to be mad. It's an inevitability that the headphone jack needs to go away. If I were in charge, Clearly I am not because I am the not world as smart as the world. I am not as smart as Tim Cook, so I'm gonna give him the credit on this one. However, if I were in charge, what I would have done was a transition. I would have launched an iPhone with lightning headphones, but continue to offer a headphone jack. I would have opened up the licensing on Lightning headphones to make them cheap. I would have done everything I could for a year to flood the market with lightning headphones so they were readily available. And then the next year, maybe two years later, ditch the headphone jack for a transition period. But if they had started shipping lightning headphones with the iPhone 6S last year and done more to get lightning headphones on the market and to sell people on the superiority of lightning headphones, the transition would not be as painful. As it stands right now, nobody you know owns a pair of lightning headphones
1: true I, I i know that i have a pair and i know that mikey has a pair and that's it and we do this for a living and we and, and you know right i don't
0: know anybody that owns i have never used a pair of lightning headphones they may be vastly superior in terms of quality and that's great um but you're still gonna piss off people in the transition people are still complaining about the switch from 30 pin to lightning so you know i mean it's gonna be painful it's gonna stink if I were in charge, I would have done a gradual transition. I would have got people hooked on because how many people still use their ear pods that come out of the box? I don't, but I see them all the time. People on the street, people on the train, they're using the ear pods that come with their iPhone. So if Apple had for the last year or two just been shipping earpods with Lightning instead of 3.5 and continue to have the 3.5 on the iPhone, I think the transition would be less painful.
1: So here's what they should have done. They should have done lightning earpods, like you say. And they should have gotten monster To ship lightning as well.
0: Yeah, and Beats and everybody else. Why are there no lightning Beats Beats. Beats. headphones? Why are there no Beats lightning headphones? That's
1: a very good question.
0: That's crazy. I mean, the new Beats pill recharges
1: through lightning. Very good question. But here's the other thing. You you and I are talking about a smooth transition, right? Right. And Apple, when they decide to jump ship from one technology to another, doesn't do transition. They simply adjust the product line, and that's it, right? When, when we had the changeover to the Lightning port on the phone and the iPad mini and the iPad 4, mm-hmm. those products were all announced within months of each other, and it was done. The transition was made.
0: And they also offered an adapter.
1: The adapter was offered at the separately. same time, separately, but that that was it.
0: Yeah, um, it, it's, it's going to be painful. No matter when they do it, no matter how they do it, it's going to be painful. If they do it the way that is rumored, I think it's going to be unnecessarily painful. Um, but I mean, there was a transition uh, from uh, PowerPC to Intel, don't forget. And, 2006. But Macs continued to support Power C, or uh, Mac OS X continued to support for a year PC for years after all the hardware had switched to Intel because well, they had, had Rosetta. Yeah, you had legacy users, and uh, you know you don't want to abandon people that invested in your hardware. So um, the headphone jack is going to remain in Apple's product lineup no matter what, because they have old iPhones, they have Macs that are, I mean, they're not going to update, for example, the 12-inch MacBook that was just recently updated. They're not going to update it again just to get rid of the, the headphone jack. Oh, they could. I mean, not this fall, I don't think. I don't see that happening. If if it's gonna, if you're going to get a lightning port on it for headphones to match the iPhone 7, so to speak, um, it's going to be a MacBook Pro with the OLED touch bar, that rumored upgrade. That'll be the first one to get it.
1: Right, but this kind of transition to the whole product line will probably take about nine months. Yeah, I mean, it's going to take some time. To roll out across that, that release period. It's going to let's, take some time, and they're going to have to do a hard
0: sales pitch on how much better Lightning headphones are for a variety of reasons. But, you know, I was just out uh, with some people last night, and a woman was asking me about it, and she was complaining about it because she says she can't charge her phone if she's using uh, Lightning headphones with it. She uses wired headphones, she keeps a battery in her purse, and she plugs in her phone to charge it while she's on the go, and you can't do that unless you got some sort of dongle or adapter. So,
1: well, now if her battery had a headphone jack, I know that's crazy talk, but <laughs> let's 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 ignore the crazy talk for a moment. Let's get back to talking about what's inside iOS 10 and WatchOS 3 and all of these these wonderful things that we're looking at Sierra.
0: Well, I've been running iOS 10 and watchOS 3 for the last week and a half. um, Wait, stop right there and
1: tell me which phone you put it on.
0: So my daily phone up until last week was the iPhone SE, and I wish it still was. I've switched back to the iPhone Success solely for work purposes. Um, I have to test um, 3D touch features in iOS 10. So I am running it on my iPhone Success.
1: What have you found? What are some of the things that you've discovered inside that you you really like?
0: Let me start with a disclaimer. Don't run iOS 10 or watch OS 3 on your daily phone. I am doing it, and it's a nightmare. I am doing it for the benefit of you, dear reader slash listener, so that you can find out uh, how these things work. Uh, But it is an absolute nightmare. Crashes. And I'm not complaining, I knew what I was signing up for, but this is why you're not supposed to install iOS 10 on a daily machine that you're using for your daily life. And so this is why I'm letting everyone know, it's not meant for you to install, wait till it's released to the public, don't install this on your phone. I I know you can't wait, I know you're excited, don't do it. Um, A lot of crashing, a lot of issues, however, Um, it's great. I am particularly happy with the upgrades in watchOS 3. Victor, you and I have talked a lot about problems with watchOS and uh, things that they can do to fix it. WatchOS 3 resolves maybe 90% of the issues that I had with the platform uh, prior, in prior releases. So I'm very, very happy with watchOS 3. iOS 10 is another uh, great upgrade uh, really like the widgets, uh, really like some of the 3D touch enhancements, the new control center um, a- integration with HomeKit, just a ton of great stuff there. Um, these are really solid updates coming later this year, and I think people are going to be very happy. And they seem like uh, a lot of it's kind of power user stuff um, and a little more advanced uh, type things that uh, – are going to kind of quiet that Android crowd of, oh, but your phone can't do this kind of thing. Um, I think that iOS is finally becoming mature to a point now and growing up to a point uh, where power users can feel just as content with it as casual users.
1: So what kinds of things, you've basically said that it's very good, what kinds (sighs) of things specifically should people pay attention to or be looking forward to?
0: Do you want to start with iOS or watchOS? What do we want? Uh,
1: Begin with the watch because I know you have a lot of complaints with the the currently supported stable version.
0: So the watch, the biggest change, number one, is a complete rethinking of the interface of the watch. So watchOS 1, watchOS 2, anybody who has an Apple Watch now... There are two buttons on the right side of the watch. There is the digital crown, which is used for accessing the app launcher and uh, scrolling through stuff, and then below it is what they call the side button. The side button previously was access to a quick list of contacts that you could send a digital touch message to. So the initial idea was that the Apple Watch was going to be a deeply personal device You would use it to draw a little sketch or send your heartbeat to somebody else who had an Apple Watch, and it was going to be an intimate type of message that you would send them that would uh, you know, be something that was a defining aspect of the product that made it a must-have. Well, that was nice in theory, but in practice, it wasn't very functional. Um, Not many people own an Apple Watch, so you had to know somebody with a watch. Um, and then you would draw a little message on this tiny screen, but there's only so many things you can draw on a really tiny screen. So draw heart, draw star. That's about it. Not really much else you could do. Um, You
1: you never, you never drew anatomy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you could draw a phallus on there if you really wanted to. Uh, but other than that, there's only so many things you can draw on a 1.5 inch screen. Um, you could send your heart rate, which was neat, but it was gimmicky. and, having a hardware button devoted to it uh, was a major oversight by Apple and to their credit watchOS 3 is a complete rethink on that so once you install watchOS 3 when it launches this fall the side button functionality will change completely it goes from being uh, what was before a quick access to digital touch messages to now a uh, app dock so The concept of glances before, for anyone who's never used an Apple Watch, from the watch face, you would swipe up from the bottom and you would get a list of of apps that you could scroll left and right and see. um, And they would just give you quick information. This was nice in theory, but they were kind of slow to load and scrolling through them took a while and it just didn't work. So Apple got rid of glances and they now have the app dock, which instead of swiping up is accessed by hitting the side button. You press the side button on your Apple Watch, and you have a list of apps that are viewed in a similar way to Glances, but instead of being static things that uh, uh, had to be programmed by developers, what Apple Watch is doing now is it's taking apps and putting them in a frozen state. So you can take apps that you open frequently, much like the dock on your Mac, or the dock on your iPhone, or the dock on your iPad, and you can pin them to the dock. So for example, when I hit the side button, I now have music, uh, the workout app, the Apple remote app, and the home app for HomeKit controls all pinned to my dock. So those four apps I can always access very quickly by hitting the side button. In addition, because they're saved in a frozen state within memory now on the watch, what before would take five, sometimes 10 seconds to load the app now loads instantly and remembers where I was in the app before. Um, previously, Apple was pretty aggressive on trying to conserve battery life, and so they didn't allow apps to stay in memory. Uh, after a year of people using the watch, they found that uh, people were charging at the end of the day was still 40, 50 percent left on their watch. So they're getting a little more aggressive in terms of power consumption and capabilities. So apps are now saved in memory, which will deplete your battery life a little bit. But for most people, it's not going to be an issue. Um, And then beyond the pinned apps in the dock, there's also recently opened apps. So anything that you open will be stored in memory there and it intelligently handles in the background. As you go through your recently opened apps, there will be a button on the bottom that says keep in dock. You can tap that if it's an app that you use a lot, add it to keep and dock. And so now these kind of work like the Glances did before because you have a screenshot of the app where it left off. So for example, if you pull up the weather app, um, it will refresh on its own in the background and offer you a screenshot of when it was most recently updated. So you can quickly access information and this kind of is a merging of the old dock concept with, or I'm sorry, the old Glances concept with the new dock. Um, and it's a huge improvement. Uh, it is much easier to jump between apps. It's much easier to multitask. It's much easier to uh, quickly get to the kind of information that you want to access. Uh, huge improvement. Cannot. I'm I'm extremely happy with the way that they've thought this out, and Apple's ability to say that they were wrong and and, and rethink the entire concept.
1: It sounds like you have a lot that you're looking forward to when it's stable.
0: Now, the other thing that I'm really happy with is Apple has also rethought the idea of complications on the watch face. Now, as you and I, again, have talked about multiple times, I'm a big fan of watch face complications because it's glanceable information. Your watch by default, when you raise your wrist, shows you a watch face, and you can customize which complications go on the corners of the screen. Previously, complications were intended to present you with data. Current temperature, how many unread emails you have, um, your your uh, uh, activity progress for the day in terms of standing and and step count and and uh, and a- exercise and all that kind of stuff. It was Apple was focused on giving you information that needed to be updated, but Apple has now rethought it and said, well. Having glanceable information that's up to date is great, but you know what else is great? Having something instantly accessible that you can tap on to open whatever you wanna open, a quick way to launch an app. So now with watchOS 3, every single native app for the Apple Watch that Apple has built has a complication even if there's no information for it to present. So for example, um, you can now have a music complication on there. And if you're playing music, it will just have a little circle that goes around if it's the smallest complication to let you know the progress of the current track, how far you are into it. If you're not playing music, it just sits there and has a music icon. And if you tap on it, it launches the music app. So now, in addition to the dock, you have complications that can sit there that can just show you an app that you use a lot that you want to be able to access quickly. And Apple is recommending for developers that Even if their app does not offer information uh, that would need to be updated through a complication, create a complication for your app so that people can quickly access it if they want. And this level of customization is really what's going to make the Apple Watch succeed with people because everyone's going to use this for something different. Some people want music controls, some people want a fitness tracker, some people want notifications, some people want third-party apps, some people don't. Some people want a lot of information on their wrist. Some people just want the time. And that ability to personalize it and turn it into the device that you want it to be is really what makes it excel. And so now they have a complication. For example, there's two weather complications. There's one for temperature and there's another one for weather conditions. So before, okay, it's 80 degrees out, but is it raining or not? Now I have a second complication on my watch face that shows cloudy, sunny, rainy, whatever. So I can get a full... Uh, uh, idea of what the weather is on my watch face with just a quick glance without having to open the the weather app. Uh, Huge, huge rethinking of how they're doing things. Seems small, but it it makes a big difference in how usable your watch is, especially at a glance.
1: So let's talk about iOS. Let's talk about what that does for the phone.
0: Okay, so the biggest change really uh, starts with the lock screen. Uh, If you have a newer uh, iPhone 6S or iPhone SE with the M9 processor, the uh, uh, screen automatically turns on when you lift up your phone, borrowing uh, a feature from the Apple Watch where the screen automatically turns on when you raise your wrist. Um, You now have uh, rich notifications on the lock screen, so you can tap on them and uh, it's kind of a three D overlay with a bubble where you can respond to text directly from the lock screen or view information. Um, you swipe toward the uh, you swipe to the right or toward the left uh, to pull up a new widgets view from the lock screen. Again, uh, completely customizable, much like on the watch and complications. So you can have your battery uh, display there, weather, sports scores, Apple News, calendar alerts, uh, third party apps. This is using the same widgets that were previously used in Notification Center. So um, even now, without any developer support for iOS 10, widgets from iOS 9 and prior that worked in Notification Center will work on the lock screen, which is great. Swiping to the right now brings you to uh, the camera. And then you have to actually press, because the screen automatically turns on when you lift the phone, you have to press the home button and that unlocks the phone and scans your fingerprint at the same time. Uh, widgets are also viewable from the Siri search pane as you, you swipe toward the right to the left on the home screen. And widgets are also found in a 3D touch of app icons. So for example, if I press firmly on the messages app, or no messages is a bad example, uh, on the phone app, uh, I now have a widget that displays in addition to quick links so I have my favorites uh, shows up as a widget and a quick link to add the widget to my home screen if I want as well uh, you can also access a weather widget that way um, a calendar widget etc etc so it's a quick way for you to get information from apps without necessarily having to open the apps uh, beyond the widgets and lock screen and that sort of stuff the biggest changes for users are going to be in the messages app um, Apple has done a, a huge revamp of messages with all kinds of stuff that I am way too old to really appreciate or understand. But I am sure that a lot of people are going to love it. Um, animations that dance around in the background. Uh, you can make your emojis bigger. You can um, make your text bubbles shake and drop and do all kinds of weird stuff. Um, and they've also created an entire ability to have an app ecosystem built around messages so that, that apps are going to be able to integrate into messages and do things like, for example, send many, money to people through messages through Square Cash. Or, you know, do custom stickers that you can stick on messages as they come in and images and stuff like that. Uh, presumably, you know, GIFs and other kinds of other crap <laughs> that you could send through messages yeah. is all going to be installable and have the ability to send.
1: One of the things that I think is really cool about that is that it also encourages discoverability. When, when you send one of those kinds of things, it also puts the attribution from where it came from. You know, this, right. this was done via... By- right. Square app, for example, and you can tap on the Square app link and go and install it yourself.
0: I think apps for messages are going to be huge. Um,
1: it's, it's, I love that sort of that shareability just by virtue of using them.
0: It's a whole new way of doing apps in much the same way that widgets integrate with apps, keyboards integrate with apps, uh, Apple Watch apps are dependent on iPhone apps. This is just another way for Apple to expand its app ecosystem and, and continue to grow.
1: Parting thought on iOS.
0: Um, you know, th- there's a lot of uh, little upgrades throughout it that uh, I really like. Uh, Maps is greatly improved. Little things like it remembers where you parked your car if uh, you get out, if you you know go somewhere with directions. Right. So, um, so
1: that's if you have your phone paired with Bluetooth in your car and you turn off the car, it takes that as a cue that it should go ahead and mark again exactly. for where you've parked.
0: Yep, and. Uh, you know, there, there's all kinds of little things throughout it, like split-screen view and Safari on iPad, um, 3D touch enhancements. Uh, the new control center is is great. Swipe up and uh, uh, swipe toward the left, and then you get a separate pane for music, and then a third one for HomeKit accessories. That's 3D touch-enabled, so you can firmly press on an accessory and, it, for example, adjust the lights Um, as it pops up with a special menu in there, uh, there's face recognition photos where you can have it sort people in your photos into different folders. So it's easier to find stuff. I've been using that a lot since I got it. Um, the, there's all kinds of little changes like that that uh, uh, are really great there's a, a bedtime feature integrating a clock that uh, helps track your sleep lets you know when to go to bed every night you can set it up so that alarms only go off during the week that sort of stuff um, just all these kinds of little changes that add up that make it uh, a big release but the biggest things I think are the widgets on the home screen and the rich notifications and then app integration and messages
1: at this moment, I want to bring up some of our Apple Insider deals. We have a large number of deals on Apple Macs and iPads. For example, you could score a 128-gig 9.7-inch iPad Pro for 699 US dollars or a 13-inch MacBook Air for $799. Plus, save $350 on the 2015 12-inch MacBook with 512-gig of storage or $30 to $70 off a 2016 12-inch MacBook. All of these deals are on our website. They're being done through B&H, who is a great friend of Apple Insiders. Please feel free to check out these deals. We'll link them in the show notes. Neil, we published a story about Apple showing some interest in expanding the True Tone color accuracy beyond the 9.7-inch iPad Pro.
0: Yeah, it was a patent application that we discovered this week where it describes kind of using not only True Tone, but uh, also... um, uh, Night shift, which is on a bunch of devices, but expanding True Tone to a range of screen sizes. So currently, True Tone is only found on the 9.7 inch iPad Pro. Uh, it relies. So, so wait, could I
1: find it on an Apple Watch in the future?
0: Less likely. Um,
1: could, I, could I find it on a large iMac in the future?
0: More likely, I would say. Uh, but the patents are very broad by nature. Uh, they want to cover as many possible uses as they can and so in the patent application they say any type of screen could be used for this any screen size could be used for this uh, they talk about wearable devices they talk about desktop computers so the practical use for um, true tone on an Apple watch uh, probably not as great as it might be on a Mac or even on an iPhone but uh, you see it on the iPad and you know the appeal there is to make content when you read it look as it as if you're reading a piece of paper is the idea so it matches your ambient light to uh, adjust the display to a way that your eye perceives it to make it seem more natural that's what it does it uses ambient light sensors that are advanced that are found in the iPad Pro 9.7 inch So this patent application just describes how it works and makes it clear that Apple is considering using it for a range of devices, uh, one of which could be a future iPhone. Now, the reason that I find this uh, patent application particularly interesting this week is because there have been a number of rumors coming out about the next iPhone, uh, which people are referring to as the iPhone 7, but I don't think it's going to be called that. Uh, talking about how it has a number of new ambient light sensors on the front display uh, underneath the glass. And that means that the new iPhone 7, uh, combined with being thinner and not having a headphone jack, probably is not going to fit existing cases that will work for the iPhone 6s and iPhone 6. Um, And when people are talking about new ambient light sensors, why would you need those? Well, Perhaps, I certainly don't know, but it would make logical sense for True Tone display technology to come to uh, the next iPhone, maybe just a higher end, you know, pro model or the plus or whatever you want to call it. But certainly, when you think about the device being used for photography, um, when you think about, you know, um, maybe if they were to add a pencil support or something like that, for people that are taking a lot of photos or drawing or doing uh, things like that, color accuracy would be very important and certainly could see an appeal on a future iPhone maybe as soon as September. Wow.
1: Yeah. So the, the, notion that you'll have something that's similar in design, similar in size, similar in shape, but won't be able to use existing cases or existing screen protection is certainly going to cause issues for the manufacturers of those cases and screen protectors, but do you think it's a big disruption for consumers at all?
0: No. I, I think um, new cases are, are a pretty minor issue, yeah. all things considered, and the expectation is that the new phone is going to be thinner and ditch the headphone jack anyhow. So, okay, you know, I, I don't, I don't see that being a very big deal. Um, that I, I think there, the, the the expectation is. So, the Wall Street Journal had a report out this week saying that the iPhone Seven is going to look largely like the iPhone Six and the iPhone Six before it. The reason for that is big things are expected in twenty seventeen, but the technology is not quite there for it.
1: Right, right. Now, one of the rumors that we've had that I'm, I'm kind of hoping, hope for, is the idea that the plus-sized variant will get the three gigabytes of RAM and a smart connector.
0: Yeah, the, the, there's actually been some speculation and, and supposed uh, pricing leaks from China that suggest there might be three models of iPhone this year. I don't know if i buy that, but uh, the rumor is that there might be iPhone 7 or whatever they decide to call it in the standard size of 4.7 inches then a Plus model at 5.5 inches, and then a Pro model, which would be the 5.5 inch with a smart connector and the dual cameras, and that would be like Apple's super high-end kind of uh, f- phone uh, you know, for people that, that want all that added functionality. Uh, why you would want a smart connector on a phone? Well, especially if they got rid of the headphone jack and needed to use lightning headphones, if it were to charge through a smart connector... Uh, That would open up all kinds of opportunities, including charging and using headphones at the same time without the need for an adapter, Uh, having new kinds of docks and stuff where you could rest it in there without having to line up the lightning connector to charge. Also, since it's magnetic, having all kinds of new battery case designs that could magnetically attach to the back of the iPhone and charge without needing to slide it in and that sort of thing. Um, There's all kinds of new possibilities that you could open up by putting the magnetic smart connector onto the back of the iPhone. So that's something that I would be pretty excited about, and I hope that they do. Um, The dual camera, you know, we'd have to see how well it works, but there's expectations that it might allow some form of digital zoom, or I'm sorry, optical zoom. Um, Which would be a huge improvement from digital zoom on current iPhones, which just looks like junk because digital zoom is junk. Um, But yeah, the the expectation is that this year's phone, other than those changes, is going to look largely the same as the iPhone 6S, just with a thinner profile.
1: But you mentioned the 2017 phone as being one that's expected to be a big change. Yeah, so the rumor... We've, we've talked a little bit about the idea that it would be made of all glass, right?
0: Yeah, the rumor mill is that Apple is going to really completely change the iPhone uh, next year for the 10th anniversary. Uh, the The rumors are pointing toward it just being the larger 5.5-inch model, so maybe the redesign wouldn't come to the smaller 4.7-inch model until 2018. So we're looking at like something that's going to take some time, but... The rumors are that it's gonna be crazy advanced technology with the FaceTime camera and the earpiece and the proximity sensors and ambient light sensors and the Touch ID fingerprint scanner all embedded in the display somehow. So imagine a phone, all glass phone, where the entire front of it was just a gorgeous retina display with no buttons, no earpieces, anything like that. It's all just hidden underneath the screen embedded in it in some way. Um, that's the rumor, whether that happens, I don't know. Anytime I hear, you know, pie in the sky, advanced, crazy technology concepts from Apple, I kind of roll my eyes because it's not really how Apple does business. They tend to take what's already on the market and kind of iterate and improve in that way. But from what's out there, it sounds like this would be the largest redesign and rethinking of the iPhone really since I guess The closest comparison would be When they introduced the iPhone 4 And so much stuff had changed It was a completely new industrial design They added a rear flash on the camera They added the FaceTime camera Uh, They added the retina display I mean, there was just so much new on the iPhone 4 That it was like, wow Um, And every year since then Has kind of been an iterative update With one or two major new feature upgrades This sounds like one where They're planning to introduce A ton of new technology at once And completely redesign the chassis as well Uh, But not till next year
1: You know, I, I still hold hope that that one day we'll have cameras actually embedded within the screen.
0: Well, that's the rumor. I I, I mean, I I guess it's technically possible to do it with an OLED display. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it would be neat. It would be pretty cool from a, from a aesthetic for aesthetic reasons alone. Um, that's one of the reasons I actually don't like the the uh, white front on the iPhone. Because the uh, proximity sensor and the earpiece and the camera stand out like a sore thumb above the screen with that white border.
1: Right. And, and that's one of the things that some designers have told me in the past is that you can tell that, that Apple didn't want to do the white phone and they took forever getting around to making the white phone mm-hmm. because having those those pieces be so apparent to the user is, is not really what they wanted. They wanted it to fade into the background and be almost invisible.
0: Yeah and if you, if you think about you know doing all that and embedding the camera and the and the home button into the screen in some way it's also going to facilitate major changes to the user interface and the experience of using the phone um just because for example unlocking the phone and and uh having it scan your finger you know you're gonna have to have some sort of visual cue on the screen as to where to press and what to do i mean i guess they could do a virtual home button um to go back you know that sort of stuff but even then you lose the tactile feedback of being able to press it um is that a step forward is it a step back you know obviously a lot of speculation at that point as to uh how it'll operate but there's a lot of uh, changes that would have to come alongside of those hardware changes on the software front. It would have to be a major rethinking of the OS as well.
1: Yeah. you know, one of the things that I think about is is the notion that when you use FaceTime and you're talking to someone, their eyes are never looking at you, right. and your eyes are never looking at them because of the position of the camera in relation to where their eyes are on the so screen. We look at each off. other's faces, and yet the camera is off. It's it's kind of disconcerting and you know having the camera within the screen underneath about where their eyes appear makes makes a huge difference
0: the the eye contact direct eye contact is so essential for human communication that it's extremely disconcerting you're you're so good at knowing when somebody's looking you in the eyes and when they're not in conversation if you've never tried this have a conversation with somebody but just or have them do it to you at least look just to the left of their head like just barely off and you immediately notice it like you can totally tell where somebody's eyes are looking just over you know uh uh, years of evolution of of human beings it it, it's very noticeable when somebody's not looking at you and it it does kill some of the intimacy of it so not only from it tells
1: us that the other person isn't paying close attention to us either right yeah
0: Yeah, your your brain is very good at perceiving where somebody's eyes are looking it's something you don't even realize that you're so good at and so not only from an aesthetic perspective but also from a human intimacy perspective um, embedding a camera into the display in a way that would make it so that you're looking more directly at the person you're speaking to um, kind of brings down those barriers and is a very Apple-like thing to do Uh, that's something that I guarantee you that they would love to ship in this year's phone if they could and and maybe next, next year's if it's ready. But that's a rumor that does not surprise me at all and definitely seems like something that Apple would want to do. Uh, put the camera in a place where you know your eyes are going to be trained to be looking to make it more natural when you do a FaceTime call, stuff like that. Now, one other interesting thing I want to bring up as well is with iOS 10, uh, some developers have been kind of hacking around in it, and they've discovered evidence of a dark mode, a dark UI uh, within iOS 10, um, which, again, aesthetic reasons. Some people might prefer to just have a darker screen, easier on the eyes, especially at nighttime. Bright that's bright at night,
1: yeah.
0: But there's also a practical and functional reason for having a dark UI, and that would be paired with the rumors that the 2017 iPhone, not this year's but next year's, it could have an OLED display. Now, an OLED display has a number of advantages over LCD and a number of disadvantages as well. One of the key advantages of an OLED display, or OLED as some say, is the pixels themselves are individually lit. It's not like an LCD where you need to have a backlight that illuminates the entire screen regardless of the colors being displayed. On an OLED display, the pixels themselves have their own individual light in it; they're backlit. So, a black quote-unquote pixel, or a pixel that doesn't have any light being going, shown through it, is not essentially using as much battery as it would on an LCD, where the entire thing needs to be illuminated. So that is why the Apple Watch uses an OLED display. But not only that, has a dark UI where the watch faces and the interface are all black background, uh, you know, darker colors throughout.
1: How 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 is this different from the night? 90- Mode stuff though, right? Because they showed us sort of a dark UI with night mode in, in the keynote. No, I'm making I'm I'm, I'm imagining they have a, that. They have a dark I'd, mode on uh, tvOS, yes, and I'm using that. Um, that's
0: but that's a tvOS 10 thing,
1: right? That is.
0: So that your eyes are adjusted at night when you're watching a, a movie or whatever, you don't want to have something bright, you know. Um, I'm thinking of of. Are you thinking of Night Shift, which is
1: the warmer maybe, colors? That's that's I, an iOS nine. No, that's not what I'm thinking of because that's the the sort of flux feature that they.
0: Yeah, there's no dark mode in iOS ten, but there is evidence of one being worked on. And so the reason that's significant is if Apple maybe is working on it for an iOS 11 release, if that were to come out alongside the first iPhone with an OLED display, the pairing of a dark mode UI with an OLED display could be a way for Apple to extend the battery life on future iPhones.
1: Okay. Very cool. Very cool. So, so what's what's the takeaway from all of this? What should we as as listeners understand about where these things are going? Should you know? What, should we be looking forward to what, what? should we be looking forward to most?
0: There will be a new iPhone in September. Maybe a new Apple Watch at the same time as well. That's when iOS 10, Watch OS 3, TVOS 10, Mac OS Sierra are all going to launch as well. Uh, The lines between iOS and macOS are being blurred. You know, copy and paste will be cross-platform, continuity, iCloud, stuff being stored. And it's a slow, inevitable march toward this ubiquitous computing idea where all of your important information and data is saved in the cloud. And you can access it from whatever device you're using, whether it's your iPhone, your iPad, your Mac, or even somebody else's Mac um and as we continue to go toward that i mean you know an important part of apple's philosophy that, they, that phil schiller revealed in an in an interview he did earlier this year is their idea is that you can do as much as you can do with the smallest screen that they have and then as soon as you need to get more work done you upgrade to a larger screen so You should be able to get most of your stuff done on an iPhone. If you need an iPad, you go to there. If you need even more real estate, you go to a Mac Then maybe to a desktop. That's kind of their philosophy and their designing of how you use these devices. But the more seamless the transition is to go from your phone to your watch to your iPad to your Mac to whatever is really where we're heading with all this and where the platforms are going. You know, the new iPhone coming out in September may be a quote-unquote disappointment from a hardware perspective for people that want an all-new look, but Apple's going to be fine. They're going to sell a boatload of these things. Um, a new look may be coming in 2017, maybe not. Who knows? Um, but, you know, it's progress is made one step at a time, and uh, uh, it'll be exciting to see where they go this fall, especially, you know, as we talk about, will the headphone jack be there? Will they add a lightning port for headphones on the Mac uh, the rumors of the MacBook Pro with an OLED touch bar. There's a lot of exciting stuff on tap for later this year, and uh, we're really gearing up for the fall.
1: Excellent. Well, that's all for this week's Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor. Neil, you're the editor of AppleInsider.com. Where can people find you? Twitter
0: at ThisIsNeil, N-E-I-L, and I am at AppleInsider.com, where you can... Read all the news, reviews, rumors, and everything else you'd ever want to read about Apple.
1: If something earth-shattering happens within the world of Apple, iPad, iPhone, tvOS, watch, we'll tell you all about it next week on the Apple Insider Podcast.